0: Thank you, Johnny. Uh, This is one of those realities within the scripture where God says he's building his church and he gives gifts to all of us, gifts to use for the edification of the church, for the fellowship of the church, so when Hannah's gone, Johnny's here, so God has supplied us richly in his mercy. We're going to be reading out of Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and this is A great text here that will give us some comprehension of what it means to be built up in Christ, for us to live in Christ because of the blessings and the grace and mercy God has given us in Christ. And then Paul's going to take us uh, into a section on it to show us the before and the after. So in Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 6 and 7. And then we're going to go to 13 through the end of the chapter, Colossians chapter 2. So those able to stand with us to read God's word, please do so. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, and then 13 through 23. Colossians 2, chapter 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with hearts of gratitude. Verse 13, But when you were dead in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him and therefore No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festivals or new moons or a Sabbath day, things which are merely a shadow of what is to come. But the substance, the fullness of the substance, belongs to Christ. So let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, or taking his stand on visions that he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. And if you have died with Christ to the elementary elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to various decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. And these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom, in a self made religion and self abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of absolutely no value against the fleshly indulgence. Since the reading of God's Word, you may be seated.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Johnny. It's good. Uh, Man, what a blessing to hear you this morning, and uh, we're grateful that you be here. Johnny, is, I think our plan and desire is that the third Sunday of each month, you're going to be here with Aunt Hannah was taking advantage of spring break uh, this last weekend of that, and so she's off today, but you're here with us, and then the plan moving forward is that you uh, are with us on the third Sunday. what a blessing. Yes, sir. Without the allergies. Yeah, we don't have allergies in Bryan College Station. Allergies in Brazos Valley, right? Amen. So, yeah. So, we're going to continue our study in uh, Colossians, and uh, Paul just read a section in the second chapter of uh, Colossians. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But uh, one of the things, if you're familiar with the writings of Paul, Trace is good to see you. 16 years old now, driving himself to church, and uh, what a blessing. But, uh, If you're familiar with uh, Paul's writings, every letter that he writes, every one Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, every one of those letters, he is addressing a problem. There's a problem in the New Testament church. Many of those churches uh, he played a role in, God used him establishing a church in, for instance, Ephesus. Uh, Philippi on his missionary trip so on and so forth so but every one of those letters He's writing to a church a New Testament church About there's a problem or a whole bunch of problems may not just be one problem the Corinthians had uh, They had problems stacked on top of problems so but he's writing And he's uh, he's teaching he's addressing the problem and all of his teaching as he's dealing with the church, uh, he, the approach was uh, he would address the problem. And then he would give uh, the goals and the instruction to deal with the problem. Problem, he was a religious lawyer, a Pharisee. Uh, he had spent the majority of his life learning how to uh, understand the scripture teach the scripture, debate the scripture. And so uh, part of his training was he was a lawyer, someone who defended and supported and taught the law of God. And so he would build a case. His writings are all the same. They're very familiar and they all have a pattern, a form, and a function to them. And so he would, in his writings, he would build a case, build a case and he'd identify the problem. And then he would say, okay, here's the instruction, here's the goal, this is the way you handle the problem, this is the way the problem is overcome, every one of his letters. And the application then was true, as much as it is today, nothing has changed. The church from its inception, you read in the second chapter of the book of Acts, and it really ends well. It says, man, after that great day of Pentecost, the church is established, scriptures fulfilled. Uh, At the end of that, it says, and the the Christians were meeting together regularly, daily. They were breaking bread together, and, and they had all things in common. There was a sense of awe that was coming from them, and this great fellowship and love. And Man, things were good, but you get to the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, and we we got problems. There's, there's the first problem in the New Testament church. And they're arguing over which widows were getting fed first. And so the answer, well, we need some deacons. So seventh chapter, we have deacons. But from that point on, the New Testament church then, and you and I today, have been plagued with problems. Gandhi was asked about Christ years and years ago. I forget that it would have been well over 60, 70 years ago. He's asked about Christ. He said, I don't have a problem with your Christ. He said it's that bloody thing he drags behind him called the church. And so for 2,000 years, Paul, he's writing those churches. You go to the, just go to the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. Jesus addresses the seven churches in Asia Minor And them folks got problems. They just do. And so uh, much of the New Testament is dealt with teaching, instructing, encouraging, guiding the body of Christ. The church that Christ established, Matthew chapter 16, he told Peter, after Peter's confession of faith, he says, I'm going to build a church, Peter, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. But the church has been a mess. Sixth chapter of the book of Acts, moving forward. Jesus addressing the seven churches in Asia Minor. All the New Testament epistles. The church has been a mess. We fight. We're selfish. We're willful. We're prideful. We're saved. And we have the Holy Spirit. But our flesh, our flesh it's just, for most of us, a slow, painful death. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we have this flesh. And, and so we're at this constant between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. And you just read Paul's statement. I'm not going to quote it, but just go to the seventh chapter of Romans. Paul talks about his own struggle. Calls himself a wretched man. But then he would say in Romans 8 and 1, he says, therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But he illustrates this very clear picture in the New Testament, illustrates this very clear picture of Christians, we're just struggling. We, we got the flesh and we got the spirit and, and and the biggest problem maybe is that we don't really sometimes understand that we are struggling. We don't realize the struggle that we're having in our flesh with the Holy Spirit of God that's been in us. and. That's another sermon for another day. But in this teaching for the Apostle Paul, writing to Christians in Colossae. Remember, there's no denomination. There's no Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Catholic church, nothing. It's just Christians. The, The church had been established through the preaching and the teaching of the Apostles through the gift and with the gift of the Holy Spirit, Christ's church was established and people just like you and I, in Asia Minor, starting in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, and now in the, every corner of the globe, every cor- the two greatest stories that ever been, have ever been told, I challenge anybody, anytime, anywhere, is the writing, the establishment, the co- there's no greater story. Nothing has ever been made by the hands of men. No discovery has ever been made. You read the story of just the history of God's word and when it started and how it exists today, it's incomparable. There's no, you can't compare that to anything in history and then the body of Christ. No matter what you think about the body of Christ, for 2,000 years, the gates of Hades have not prevailed against the church of Christ, nor will they ever. Uh, uh, they're just not. The church is un. Defeatable. The church is full of defeated people that God is using that are undefeatable. Think about that. Every nation that has ever been established, born, all authority in heaven and earth, every nation that has ever been only has existed because God said this nation will now This nation will begin. This nation will thrive. This nation will fail. This nation will come to an end. This king will rule for a while, but just for a while. These people will live here for just a while. But one thing you can be sure of, there will be a group of people that he saves, he sets aside, he calls, and they'll be established, and they're called the church, the body of Christ, the bride, the kingdom of God. And they will survive. And they will be eternal. And they'll be the only eternal nation, kingdom, people, children that are secure in eternity in spite of all of our flaws. Best thing going. Churches, I've always said that uh, uh, Christians are the easiest target in the world. And sometimes it's terrible. We're our own worst enemy, but it's easy to just say, well, I'm, you know, I'm Christians. People always, well, Christians. you Christians. need to be really careful when you do that because even in our flaws, we have been set aside. We have been sanctified. We have been purified. We have been justified by the holy hand of God. You should be very careful when you demean the body of Christ, the church. But it's an easy target. So the problem with the Colossians, Paul just read it. I'm going to reread this in the second chapter. Uh, This is the problem of the Colossians. The Galatians had a problem with circumcision. And you could just each one, each church. The Corinthians with sexual immorality and making a farce of the Lord's Supper and suing one another in open court. But this was the problem with the Colossians. Verse 16, chapter 2, Therefore, uh, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Don't do that. Verse eighteen: Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize, but alighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on it uh, on visions which he has seen. I always, I'm always very, just me personally, I'm always very leery if somebody said, "Well, God gave me a vision." Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But you can always know how if he did or if he didn't. Uh, if that vision that's so a God gave me a vision usually and I like the way Paul says it Sometimes we say well, let me tell you about this vision that God gave me And what's really it's really the result of an inflated mind a fleshly mind uh, That's not a judgment. It's biblical But I'm always leery They so say, God gave me a vision Well, if he did, how does it align itself with scripture? Because if it's not aligned book chapter verse punctuation mark Then it's not, it may be a vision, but it ain't from God. So we just start there. But this time, historically, people were putting an emphasis. They were. And it all had to do, in this case, with the Old Testament law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Specifically Numbers and Leviticus. The law that God gave Moses for the children in Israel and all these 600 plus laws. And these are the things you got to do. I'm a holy God. You're going to be a holy people. To be a holy God, I've given you a holy law. And it has to do with things that you eat, things that you don't eat, uh, worship days. uh, You know, this is when you worship. This is how you worship. And, you know, and all those things, religious things. And so... Since that time in, in the wilderness, God given his people the law, God's people have struggled with being obedient to that law. And God's people have struggled with not only being obedient to that law, but which ones to follow. Look at the battleground that was the life of Jesus with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they couldn't, they, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, the Sadducees didn't. But they found a common enemy in Jesus, the teachers of the law. And and just look at all the things that they would emphasize, you know, criticize, point out, whether it was laws of cleanliness, uh, what you can do on the Sabbath, all that's right there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the great teaching of Scripture, and Paul nails it best in Romans, he said, look, here's the deal, here's the deal. Let's say you could keep all the laws, all of them. Let's say you could keep them all. But if you fail in one, you failed, uh, you've failed the test. You could. There's no 99%. You don't get an A or an A+. Plus. You either pass or you fail. And if you can't keep one law, you failed. But, but God-fearing people or God-professing people, I'm not quite sure that they fear, but we've always had a hang-up. Well, this one, this is a biggie. This one's important. Oh, this is a biggie. I got this, and it's always usually the ones that we've got right. I'm doing that, but you ain't, Blake, you ain't doing it. I'm doing it, you ain't doing it. So I'm right and you're wrong. And that's what we do. And so 2,000 years ago, there wasn't any denominations. They're just a bunch of, just a bunch of, well, Paul writes to Corinthians. He said he chose the weak to overcome the wise. He chose the weak to overcome the strong, the foolish to overcome the wise, the debased, the despised, the things are not. It was just a bunch of ramshackle, bunch of folks that couldn't take credit for anything that now was eternally valuable. Their salvation. God just chose. He said, I'm going to choose this fool. I'm going to choose this weak person. I'm going to choose this despised, this debased person. I, oh, here's another one. i picked this one over here. But that person will know he can't exalt himself. And so the church was just, that's what God did. It's what he's doing today. It's what he's always done. And so here we are. And so we've been living. And we've been fighting. <laughs> and we've been selfish in our flesh. And we've been, we've, been, we've been emphasizing certain things. Boy, you can do this, but you can't do that. I mean, and it's almost always has a biblical foundation for it. In other words, and by the way, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness after 40 days, or tempted him after 40 days of fasting, what did Satan, did Satan know scripture? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He got a little, you ought to read it, fourth chapter of Matthew. uh, The great discussion between Satan tempting Jesus and the, they had, they discuss scripture. <laughs> and so the body of Christ for 2,000 years has been emphasizing something that somebody has decided is really important. And uh, and that will be the basis of whatever that movement is. I mean, that's why we have a Catholic church and a Baptist church and a Methodist church and a Lutheran church and a Presbyterian church. For those of you who have heard me preach for a number of years, I don't stand up here and pick on any of those folks. I, but for this morning and the sake of this lesson, I remember many years ago, the first time I went in a prison unit, I loved their philosophy, and it was certainly biblical. I don't know that they knew it was biblical, but you would be teaching, and we'd, every week we were teaching out at the unit Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. And I was teaching I, studies in Galatia, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Old Testament, New Testament survey courses. And I was blessed to be able to do that for many, many years. Uh, but the Texas Department of Criminal Justice had an approach. Well, so, for instance, if you're going to come in and teach a Bible class on Galatians, or any Bible class, to a group of inmates, the one thing you couldn't do, you could not proselytize. In other words, you couldn't say, so if you were a Baptist preacher going in to teach a class, uh, you could say you're a Baptist, I mean, you could, but the one thing you couldn't do is say, we're Baptist, this is what we believe, and we're right. You could not do that. I think it's wonderful. I think it's, I know it's spiritual and biblical. You couldn't go in and say, I'm a Calvinist, Oh, i'm an arminian and those if you don't know what those are come see me and i'll bore you to death with them um methodist catholic you and so this is what we believe and we're right and by the way i'll prove because since we believe it we're right and i'll show you where the baptists are wrong and the methodists are wrong and the lutherans because we just have done that for 2000 years. well they didn't do it initially because none of that existed but but then that's how it evolved and And that's where we're at today. But what you could do is you could go and teach the Bible. And and if somebody would say, Brother Rogers, you know, I grew up Pentecostal. Or I grew up Baptist. Or whatever they grew up. I grew up Catholic. What you could do, uh, what you couldn't do was say, well, you were taught wrong and that's wrong. But what you could do is you could say, you know what, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Baptist. I'm not whatever. But I will tell you what I believe and why I believe it based upon my study of god's word so like the scripture says i'm being prepared in and out of season to give an answer for what you believe and and study thine own self so those are things but you could do that and so you didn't have to go in and say well the Baptists are wrong and the church of christ is wrong and the lutheran are wrong the Catholic. you say well let's do this let's study god's word together and uh Let's, let's do this together. Let's be like the Bereans in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Let's be noble-minded. Let's eagerly study the scripture. We can find out God, I believe, is faithful. And if we just have an open heart, uh, listen, and an open mind, eager, we can find the truth. God wants us to find that truth, and we grow in that truth. And I don't have to say some I'm right and somebody's wrong. But Satan delights in that. He delights in. So these folks had some problems. And so here's, here's what it is this morning, today, would have been 2,000 years ago, certainly is true today. So whatever's going on in your life, whatever, and you're just trying to live, and you're a Christian, and you want to figure this out. And you got preachers telling you one thing and grandma and grandpa telling you one thing. And, you know, it's very difficult. If you were raised as a Catholic, you know, you've got centuries of influence there. Let me just say this, too, real quick. You, here's where you can sh- be sure you're 100% wrong. A- 100% wrong 100% of the time. If you make a statement, well, the Baptists believe or the Church Christ believe or the Catholics believe, you, with the minute that leaves your mouth, you are one hundred percent wrong. You have no idea what you're talking about. Zero wrong. You just wrong. You just you are not one percent wrong. You're a hundred percent wrong. Not all Baptists believe the same. Not all Baptist preachers preach and teach the same. Not a, Melinda Jenkins called me this week and wanted had a question. I had a Church of Christ influence. Uh, for many years, and, and God just blessed me in so many wonderful ways. And she had, somebody had asked her a question about, you know, how does the Church of Christ feel about this? And we had a great discussion, and uh, I said, well, that, it, that statement of the, in and in of itself is an incomplete. It's not, because to assume that every Church of Christ preacher believes and every Church of Christ that exists under a building and worships on the first day of the week, you're wrong. It's just wrong in its premise, and it's usually the extremists that get the voice. You know, the one that for years and years ago said, well, the church of Christ believed they're the only ones going to heaven. I was there for 30 years. I wouldn't say that. I'll just be liberal. I'd never, maybe it might 30%, but that 30% is the one that gets the voice and the noise and the influence, right? So we just think, well, that's it. And I'm picking on my old brethren there. I, I don't mean because I love them and I love what God did to, in my life there, but we do that. So I, I, I was forced, it was a wonderful thing to be absolutely true. So my grandparents grew up Wesleyan, Methodist. And I'm going to tell you, the Methodist church today, predominantly, not I- exclusively, is not the Methodist church that was established uh, with John Wesley. The things have changed. But to say they're all the same is wrong. To say all the Pentecostals are the same is wrong. It's just wrong. All the Catholics are wrong. Are are they all believe that? No, it's wrong. It's 100% wrong. But we do that. And that's, you know, and it's because of things that are just right here like the Colossians. God's people trying to define themselves, find out what's important. Well, we got to do this. We need to do this. This is really important. Well, my preacher said this. Well, this is what we believe, and then it becomes dogma, and then we use the Bible to convince ourselves and prove it. is prove it. I've go back to picking on my Church of Christ brethren for years. People say, well, you know, y'all are the only ones that think you're going to heaven. Y'all are those ones that don't have music. They got music, they don't use a guitar, but that's not true either. There's plenty of churches of Christ, they use instrumental music, and most people don't even understand, and many people within the Church of Christ don't even understand the history behind that. Here's the point. If you really want to know, say, so, so you know, I'm not Baptist. Most Baptists don't know. <laughs> they really don't. they just Baptists because grandma and grandpa, or maybe somebody in a bus ministry picked them up and took them to the Baptist church and they had a great experience. Wonderful, praise God. But if you really want to know, educate yourself. They it's hard. We don't like doing that. I'd rather listen to somebody else run their mouth. But say, I, I study the history of the Baptist church, study the history of the Lutheran church, study, educate yourself. What's wrong with that? And then understand that, you know. I guarantee you the Presbyterian churches is established. You just look at where they're at in America. They're all over the place. This is not a criticism of any of them. There's a a fact here, and it's on display here, when there were no denominations of God's people struggling with, fighting with. Well, this is important. This is really important. We need to do this, and this is what's right. And if you're not doing this, you're wrong. Well, I can find a place over here to meet with people that agree with me because we're right and they're wrong. And it's been all over the map for 2,000 years. And so Paul's dealing with that. There's a problem here. What are they doing? They just, they're defrauding themselves. They delight in self-abasement, worship of angels. Well, who in the world would do that? I tell you, there's people doing that right now. I mean, well, you can drink this, but you can't drink that. You can eat this, can't eat that. Decrees, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Which all refer to things that's in perish with the using. So here's the deal. If maybe you are there. Maybe you don't even care. But if you're there, if you're, if you're, if you're in that, if you're, you know, well, this is important. Well, we need to do this. Well, this is really important. I better do that. Well, I better believe this. Okay. Or you might be. So, you know what? I, already, I didn't know that. I just want to worship God. Maybe you're there. That's good. That's a great place to be. But then it can get confusing. Do you have to be a Bible scholar? No. You just want to be in right standing with God. And so Paul nails it. He always does. Inspired by the Holy Spirit understanding all the things that divide people he just nails it there's a problem there's a problem with the Colossians he nails it here's the goal now he starts off that religious lawyer making a case Christ is great. I'm gonna make a case before we deal with your problem some of you do this with Blake and Haley you know you know what the problem is. They're being selfish. I mean, your kids could never be selfish, right? But they're being selfish, and they're arguing over whatever. You got to get them at the dining room and tell us, okay, look, we're tired of this. We're just tired. We can't do it. All right. Before we address the problem, Blake, you know, well, it would probably be Haley. She'd be the problem. Yeah. Blake, yes, sir. Uh, but before you do that, you say, let's, let's, do you know, let's talk about it. You know what's going on here? You kids have it so good. My lands. We really you ain't got a problem. Before I deal with what you created here as a problem, let's start with some things. Let's agree here. And that's what Paul does. Listen, before I deal with the problem, you need folks, church, church, you need to know something. Christ is creator. creator. By him, he, he created all things, all things. Everything that was ever created was created by him. The oxygen you're breathing, he created. The lungs that. Take that oxygen in, the the blood that he created. Your life, he created. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. This planet that we're spinning on, he created. The stars in heaven, he created. I'm going to deal with your problem, but the first thing you need to remember is he's the creator. And he's supposed to have first place in everything. You want to solve most of your problems? I'd say all of them. I really do. If you could be honest enough, if I could be honest enough, we be you got a problem in your life. You run around with some little arrogant stuff going on in your mind. You depressed, you angry, you mad, you got something going on, well, you frustrated with somebody. Ask yourself, is Christ first? And then take the, go through the spiritual discipline of saying if I don't know if he's first, study it, find out if he is first, and then your problem will be fixed. Problem be fixed. <laughs> problem be fixed. All, all of our redneck, self-righteous, religious stuff that we hang on to and justify ourselves. And just, I'm you're right. I, I have a right to be angry at that person. I have a right not to like that preacher. I have a right to, you know, gossip about that church. I, well, okay. Ah, well, if you do, God bless your little self-righteous self. Open the Bible. Find out what Christ being first. And your problem be solved. You won't. We won't. We don't like that solution. Because when Christ is first, we got to be slapped right upside the head. Because, oh, man, I got to give something up. I got to give up my pride, my envy, my arrogance, my self-righteousness. I got to give it up. Oh, Christ being first. I don't like Christ being first. But you'll solve it, so you remember that. And then, uh, and then he reconciled us. We talked about that last week. He made something unholy holy, which only he could do. And so you and I have the ministry of reconciliation. So that's it. And by the way, uh, you know, this, the, the thesis statement, and every one of his letters has a thesis statement, is verse 9 and 10. For this reason, chapter one, for this reason also since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is the statement. He's building a case that every single word that comes forward in Colossians is based upon the goal that they need to have. Paul says, I know what your problem is. I know what your problem is. Your problem is this. Your problem is you're worried about worshiping angels and self abasement and what to eat and not to eat. Okay, all right. Listen, Christ is created. Let's start there. He's supposed to have first place in everything. You've been reconciled. And by the way, so my prayer for you, and by the way, the book of Colossians has been described as a prayer it's the praying epistle. And it's based upon this opening statement. As Paul was writing, he was praying. You ever done that? And as he was praying, he was writing. This is a written prayer. And the prayer is, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You're struggling with worshiping angels and don't taste and don't eat and which festivals and Sabbaths you keep and self-abasement and he said, we're gonna fix that. And the way you fix it is with a prayer for that you'd get all spiritual knowledge you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So here it is, and this is quick and easy. So you say, Well, Aubrey, I don't know if I I don't know. Can a person really be filled? Can a person really have the full assurance of understanding? Chapter 2 and verse 2. Can a person really have full assurance of understanding? Can a person really be filled with the knowledge of his will and all of spiritual wisdom and understanding? So that I might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Pleasing him in all respects. Can a person really do that? And if I can, how? And then this is what he does. He nails it. Here it is, church. This is, if you're there. If this is where you're at. That's the problem you have. Here's the goal and instruction to fix it. Whatever's going on in your life, you got something wrong going on in your life and you're not sure what is God leading me? What is God telling me? What is God showing me? How do I, how can I have the full assurance assurance and understanding that this is where God wants me to be? And it's right here. I put this in whom, in him, with him, when he. And he nails it. So you could just start right here at verse 3 of chapter 2. He says, uh, listen, about Christ, the full assurance of understanding, verse 2, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. You got a problem. Here's the first thing you need to know how to fix it. This is the cure-all, the fix-all, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to ask you something. The scripture demands, God demands an answer for you and I. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? I don't know. God knows. You should know. Let me look at your bank statement. I'll show you what you treasure. What do you treasure? The scripture always brings clarity to everything. It says we're to seek his, seek his kingdom first. Seek, seek his and all these things will be added to you. What we treasure is what uh, we build our kingdoms on. And unfortunately, much of what we treasure in the kingdom building that we're doing have very little to do with seeking his kingdom first. We're treasuring possessions and things and that have to do with my personal pleasure or a legacy that, you know, we just did the second chapter of Ecclesiastes with the youth group this morning. and I had him ask the question, you know, where Paul says, it's just vanity, I've done it all. I I I have had concubines, I've built vineyards and ponds and buildings and pursued the delights of my heart and pleasures. And I had these series of questions. And by the way, the Stazing Boys, you guys nailed it. It was outstanding. They came and they had the questions answered. And, but he brings that to our attention. He he says, he says, it's just vanity. In fact, a man will labor his whole life and he'll build something and then he's got to leave it to somebody who will squander it. In fact, to the point, and I understand that, that it's, it's, I hate the fruit of my labor is what he would say. But see, so many of the problems that we have is based upon what we treasure and the wisdom of what we treasure and the knowledge of what we treasure. We treasure something and then we build a mindset, a philosophy, a, 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 a thinking, well, okay, I treasure it. So I, it's obviously it's, I, there has to be some knowledge and wisdom with it and it's it's vanity. You want the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery? You better find out what he treasures. What's wise to him. What's Knowledge to him, just go, if you don't know, go to the first chapter of Corinthians, the message of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He would say the message of the cross was a scandal. The word is scandal on to the Jews, God's own people. They did not want to hear a message that someone had to die for you because even though you were God's chosen people, you fall short of the glory of God and you're a sinner lost in need of a sacrifice, a blood spilled sacrifice that was holy, who'd have been tempted in all things and yet not sinned, who's not born in iniquity. You need a sacrificial lamb and God's people hated that. The Jews hated that. They would rather believe that I can, I am God's chosen and he's given me 622 laws and I know which ones are important and which ones aren't and I'm going to follow those laws and so now I'm right and everybody else is filthy and unclean and dirty those dirty Gentiles I like that I don't like that it doesn't matter that I'm a child of Abraham Jesus said I can take a stone and make a child of Abraham I'm lost. There's nothing good in me. I'm totally depraved. And I'm in need of a Savior. It was a scandal to God's people. Read it in 1 Corinthians. It was foolishness to the Gentiles. Those that were not good people, God, they think it's foolish. We live in a whole world out there. If you don't believe it, you just listen to anything philosophically or politically that's taking place in the country today. And, and, and the world, the enlightened, woke world, thinks the message of the cross is foolishness. But that's where, that's where the treasure and the wisdom of knowledge and knowledge of God, the full assurance, are revealed through Christ. That's it. So in whom? And then verse 6, As you, therefore you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him. In him. You walking in somebody, You walking in some way. You walking in some place. I'm walking in my place in this way. And we do, we walking. Now that means live. Paul would start a prayer in Ephesians chapter four. He says, I therefore the prison of the Lord beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. That means just literally live. You living in something you living in arrogance, you're living in pride, you're living in envy, you're living in the amassing of wealth, you're living in, in personal, uh, whatever, security. We're living in something, and you want to fix all that? Do this. Remember, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. I, I just have to make this statement. I wish to God that whatever you are basing your relationship with God in, that you would move it from accepting him to receiving him. I really do. Because the mindset is immense. We've been taught it doesn't exist. I would just anytime, anywhere, anyplace, please give me because if you can find it, I will change my thinking. I will. I promise I will. I just promise I will. I have searched the scripture endlessly. I've wanted to find it. I really wanted to find it. Find in this word where a man accepts Jesus Christ in his heart. Find it. It doesn't exist. Now, I think people that say that are saved. I think it's a, you know, God is beyond all that. But what I know is this. We receive him. The scripture says we receive him. And there's a big difference in accepting him and receiving. There's a huge, accepting almost takes this position that, you know, I philosophically I'm sitting over here and I've heard some that says a pretty good story and I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. I, I can be a good soldier. I can, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm participating in this and you know, yeah, yeah I'll accept him so much different than this. You were lost in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. You were totally depraved. There's no one, not nothing, not anything good in you. But God being rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy. When you and I were lost and dead in our trespasses and sin, he saved us. You've been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. And Romans in chapter 5, it's very clear. He said, someone might die for a good man. Maybe somebody might. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were yet wicked. He poured, he poured, he poured through his Holy Spirit. He poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You didn't accept that. You received that. You didn't say, okay, my heart's open, pour it in. No, you did not. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. None of us could do it. There's a huge thing. The man that receives it is here. He's saying, oh my, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing that's worthy. I have nothing. There's nothing in me. I'm dead. I'm lost. And I'm in agony. And then he just pours. He just pours it. He just pours it. He just pours. Listen, I'm passionate about this. I, this is the church. Just gets so wound up. Don't eat. Don't touch. And the church, Christ isn't the Baptist, isn't the Catholic, is, And it's just here. Do you want to fix it? Find your treasures and knowledge and wisdom in Him. Receive. Live the live a such a that you've received. You know what the church doesn't live like they've received Jesus Christ. They live more like they've accepted him. Oh, when you receive something that you could never do, have anything to do with, anything to do with, nothing. You just were given an abundance of wealth, an imperishable wealth, a wealth that could never be destroyed, and then you have it, and then you just, oh my, oh, oh, let me tell you about what God has done for me, not what I've done for God but what he's done for me. And I had nothing to do with it. Not 1% of anything that I have to do with it. And you know, there's people that are disturbed by that. The flesh is so powerful. They want, we want to believe. The flesh is so powerful. We want to think that we had something to do with it. We want to think that, well, maybe I had 1%. You will or not, you can't. It doesn't exist in God's word. So that's that. I probably can't finish this. Verse nine. I'm probably already out of time. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I want you to fully understand that for just a minute. In Job chapter nine, Job said, "I'm just a man. I need. I need. I can't take God to court. I need someone that can touch God and touch me." The only being that could ever bridge the gap between God and you and I was a man that was 100% human and a man that was 100% God. And there's only been one, and that's Jesus Christ. If you've seen the Father, you have seen him. So he is the only one in him. You and I can't do it. No man that you've ever known could do it. But in him, the fullness. You want full assurance? Full assurance. Live with the satisfaction that you have received from the man who is God. The only thing that he could give and no other man could give. And that's the full deity, omnipresence, omnipotence, sovereign rule of a a holy God. The forgiveness that comes from the only one who could walk that walk. And then, I got to do one more. Verse 10. The, he says, and in him you've been made complete. He would talk about, he would use the term build. I, I got to stop here. But but just as we're walking in something, I'm walking in my flesh, I'm walking in my goals, I'm walking, I'm living in my My thinking and my passions and I'm living in my purpose and all the woke, blah, 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 blah. So, and then there's also something to the building. We're always trying to build and complete something. Most of it's going to be burned up, destroyed. But do you realize in Christ, in him, that he is? is doing something that you and I cannot do. He's completing us. You know the love story? You complete me. No, that's garbage. I'm a far better man because Tammy, Martin Rogers, and my wife, I am a far better man because she's my wife. See, I don't like it, but she brings me to attention and some things that I don't know. She is a helpmate. But she doesn't complete me. She couldn't. Because she's not complete. But in him, he is completing me, he is completing her, he is building something in us. I can, listen, you want full assurance of of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that here's all you got to do, this is it. Just live with, you want to talk about faith? How about this? Here's a good faith deal. Here's the faith deal. The fuel, oh sure. Whatever God builds, he completes. And in him, I'm being built. In him, I'm being built. In him, I'll be complete. And it may take my whole life here on earth. But oh, what a building. What a building, what a. What a way to be completed. So this morning, I just challenge you to look at these words. Find comfort and encouragement in them, guidance in them. Be led by them. And walk in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to find our assurance in you. Help us to be convinced of the assurance that comes from you in the knowledge and the understanding of the mystery and the wisdom and the knowledge of him, Father, in whom we have the redemption of our sins, been forgiven of our sins, filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, Father, so that we can indeed walk in him. And so, Father, this is our prayer to you as you have given us him, so that we could walk in him it's in christ's name we pray amen